Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. Your podcast for you. What antiques are we talking about this week? Well, I wanted to talk about something that's kind of close to my heart, and I assume the hearts of anyone else who cares about old stuff. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Hoosier cabinets. Hell yeah. Are you familiar with what a Hoosier is? For the sake of argument, let's pretend I'm not. All right. What is a Hoosier cabinet? Why, that is a type of freestanding cupboard or kitchen cabinet that serves as a workstation. It's a very all-in-one piece of equipment, which I quite admire. Its design is actually based on the baker's cabinet. Which, as you might have guessed, is a cabinet built for bakers to hold all of their baking supplies with a workstation. However, that sounds a bit one note for us. I want more. I want my cabinet to serve. The standards of a Hoosier cabinet are that it had a large base with a pull-out work table for up to 40 inches of workspace, and a narrower top section with cabinets, drawers, and usually a roll-top or tambour compartment as well as a variety of specialized storage, depending on the model you received. The workspace was usually enamel, zinc, or wood, and the Hoosier itself would be made out of hardwood, pine, oak, or, later on, white enamel. Enamel being a layer of porcelain over metal. Now, is this a mid-century creation? No, much older. Where does it begin? It begins, as so many things do, in time. Uh... (laughs) Wow. So the turn of the century in the U.S. So let's start by saying the Hoosier is a very specifically American invention. In the turn of the century, meaning the 1890s to the 1900s, featured a housing boom unlike any other, has not been topped yet. More houses were built in the U.S. during this period than all prior years combined. That's many houses, that is. That's a lot of houses and a lot of people who are about to become homeowners. Now, the thing about a small house that isn't a manor house is that it generally doesn't have built-in shelving or pantry space or cabinets for kitchen storage. While a manor house might have a butler, pantry, and large kitchen for preparation, regular houses just, uh, it was not in fashion to do this, and they were meant to be kept small and streamlined. And they might even have limited kitchen space generally. The world needs a standalone kitchen cabinet that can be moved into your home. One that could replace an entire servant's kitchen. But where could I find such a thing? Indiana, as it happens. (laughs) Well done, Indiana. (laughs) So what started out as just people selling standalone cabinets for storage ended up evolving pretty quickly into standalone cabinets that offered unparalleled convenience. The idea was to streamline the experience of being a home cook. So the Hoosier is a response to that in an area where you could do conceivably all your food prep in exactly one area and only need to move to actually cook it on the stove. Hot damn. Now, these were supposedly influenced by the designs of Catherine Beecher, yes, one of the Beechers, that Beecher, which she based on the efficiency of the ship's galley. Oh, a nautical connection. (laughs) A delightful nautical connection. See, the Beechers were both involved in a variety of different activisms, and Catherine Beecher in particular was interested in the welfare of the American housewife. And the ship's galley was the absolute gold standard in making the best use of a small space. You could imagine why. (laughs) Is it because there's not a lot of space below decks aboard a vessel? It's because there's not a lot of space below decks aboard a vessel. Incredible. The first actual manufactured Hoosier-style cabinet was actually attributed to furniture maker Sellers in 1898. As this was sort of a slow evolution, there's not one company that patented these all out. And it's worth noting that, like Kleenex, Hoosier is actually just a brand name that came to represent literally any type of piece of furniture that resembled it. Is this why Hoosier is a name for someone who comes from Indiana? No, that actually came first, and 
If you're going to ask me why they're called that, I don't know. I would guess that they're called that because, like, the people you call Hoosiers, these cabinets also stem from Indiana. Oh, I thought you- so I don't know where the term Hoosier came from. Yeah, no one knows. One theory that I actually remember is that a guy in the Midwest got into a fight in Indiana and they knocked someone's ear off and he picked it up and said, Who's ear? Um, I don't know that that one's true, but it did make me laugh. <laughs> that is nothing. That is absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, much like the uncertain state of the term Hoosier, it's actually a little bit debated about how the Hoosier became known as the Hoosier. Well, it came from Indiana, like the people you call Hoosiers. What's not clicking? Let me introduce a disruption into your uh, your theory here. While many of the furniture makers making these were in Indiana, the Hoosier state, there was also a company called the Hoosier Manufacturing Co. Was it based in Indiana? Well, yeah, of course. I think I figured out why it's called that. <laughs> Well, first of all, it was in Albany first. They moved to Indiana. Uh-huh. And second off, the important thing to remember about the Hoosier Manufacturing Company is that they were head and shoulders above every other maker in the history of Hoosiers, their popularity, and their sales. Head and shoulders, yes, but not knees and toes. No, knees and toes as well. It does not actually say that. You are lying no. to me. It doesn't say that, no. <laughs> Nothing says that. But by 1920, the Hoosier Manufacturing Company had sold 2 million Hoosiers. And 10% of all homes in the U.S. were suggested to have a Hoosier Manufacturing Company brand Hoosier. Figures that don't even touch on how many non-Hoosier Manufacturing Company cabinets there were in the U.S. Two million of that company alone. Hence why people think that it might be why people call them Hoosiers generally. Also, they're from Indiana. <laughs> I see you're gonna die on this hill. Yes! <laughs> A weird hill to die on. <laughs> and yet, not my weirdest. What's, okay, real quick, what's, what's your weirdest in your opinion? I mean, my weirdest is probably what actually happened aboard that rowboat that escaped the Essex whaling disaster. Oh boy. But that's a tale for another time. Yeah, on our episode about the Essex whaling disaster. Which doesn't exist yet, don't bother looking. And is it gonna? Do you wanna? I don't know that there's a whole lot of antiques. Uh, there's antique bones? Um. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> The reason that the Hoosier Manufacturing Company became synonymous with the Hoosier cabinet was likely just because they were the most innovative and keeping up at the constant race to have the most interesting and useful cabinet and the absolute best at advertising. They hired your typical Americana illustrators for ads that they would place in magazines most frequently browsed by American housewives. And they did this a lot. And they did this in a lot of different ways all the time. A relentless advertising campaign. Now, when I say innovation, I am of course referring to the additions on the Hoosier that make it quite so unique and make it the all-in-one station that it is. What do you know could go into a Hoosier cabinet to make cooking a breeze? A box to put your bread dough in while it rises. It did. A little foldy-outy bit on springs to make double countertop space. Well, it actually pulls out on casters, but it's, yeah. Don't some of them do a springy thing? I think so, yeah, actually. There's a lot of different cab- like, Hoosiers. There's a lot. The point is, counter space, doubled. Yeah, counter space, which was at an absolute premium, could be doubled. You should start taking notes right about now, people who live in apartments. So no two Hoosiers actually had the same list of amenities, but some things that could be included were a flour bin with a built-in sifter, often in a hopper style, as if you were dispensing it for animal feed. Fun. Sugar hoppers, a lazy Susan for spices, including bottles, utensil holders, a salt box, both a bread proofing drawer and or a bread bin, coffee and tea canisters, a cookbook holder at about shoulder level, 
so you wouldn't have to stoop over to read the book. Knife drawer, pencil holders, meat grinders. Need I go on? Boy, howdy. So yeah, the innovations are entirely how useful can we make this one device? And it turns out extremely useful. Many useful. In fact, a lot of them have large drawers on the bottom portion of the Hoosier that are tin lined to make them food safe for both proofing and storing bread. And a fun fact, for the expert at Hoosiers, the glass canisters can be a method of identifying individual makers. Really? So, I mentioned that by 1920, Hoosier Manufacturing in particular had sold two million of these things. But the 1920s brought something else unpleasant. The Jazz Age. The Jazz Age. Yeah. So Hoosiers hate jazz. They fall apart. <laughs> uh, they brought the Great Depression. What? Yeah, that did happen. Oh, that's 1929. That's a 30s problem. Well, yeah, but it's coming. And the other thing that they brought that was a little less damaging was the introduction of built-in storage for kitchens. The galley kitchen model had gone from standalone unit to the idea that kitchens should be made like that standard, which would begin the lead up to the kind of kitchen that you know and love, the kitchen that already has built-in cabinets, countertops, maybe even elevated cabinets. I, I don't know what your house looks like. Yeah, you do. You've been here. Yeah, it's got cabinets, but yours actually was a manor house at one point. No, mine was a hotel. Oh yeah, shit. I think all my manor houses in New Bedford fucked up. Yeah, you are. My point stands. It became very in fashion to have kitchens that were already tricked out with storage and prep space. So that combined with the slow creep of the Great Depression, which would begin to really cripple sales, by 1935, the Hoosier was additionally just considered a really outdated look and not lit fam. Impossible. It's so convenient and cute. But compared to the sleek elegance of built-in cabinets, it really couldn't compete. Horse hockey. Whoa, strong language, my man. I have strong feelings about <laughs> Hoosier cabinets. Uh, but yeah, that was the slow decline of the Hoosier cabinet. After that, people just sort of didn't make them anymore. Having a standalone unit didn't make a lot of sense. Now, the Hoosier Manufacturing Company was not the only Hoosier Manufacturing Company. There was also, as we mentioned before, G.I. Sellers and Sons. Campbell Smith Ritchie Co., which marketed the Boone Cabinet, which was supposedly designed by women. You say supposedly as though women are incapable of designing a cabinet. We had a Heppelwhite episode. We've been over this. Women can design furniture. No, I'm saying the fact that they were selling it on that point suggests to me that they didn't actually employ any women. Interesting theory. Especially considering this design was pretty well trod by the time the Boone cabinet came out. So they didn't really need any anyone. Like, a woman had already done it. <laughs> she, she did the damn thing. There was also Copes Bros and Zook. Yeah, that's a real company. And this is the one I was most familiar with, oddly enough, was the Napanee Dutch Kitchenette. It was just supposedly based on the studies of efficiency engineer Harrington Emerson to be the most efficient Hoosier cabinet on the market. I didn't know efficiency engineers were a thing outside of maybe working for Ikea, but apparently it's an old profession. To be fair, Ikea also sells furniture, so... There was also McDougal, who were early manufacturers, although not as early as GI sellers, which they marketed as the first ever kitchen cabinet, which has to be wrong on every count. <laughs> that cannot be correct. In 1919, it's not the first kitchen cabinet. Especially considering I would consider a baker's cabinet a kitchen cabinet. Yeah, you can tell because it's called a fucking cabinet. It's in your goddamn kitchen. Because it's, it's a cabinet that you keep in your fucking kitchen. So McDougal get fucked. They also didn't even give it a cute name. Unlike Sellers, which we mentioned, had the brand Kitchen Need. Now, they couldn't compete with Hoosier Manufacturing in the advertising market, so they found a unique advertising strategy, which was to market it to women's suffrage. 
Interesting. They made theirs the mark of the independent woman who's cooking for her family. Okay. All right. So, okay. So I see we're still in early stages feminism. Well, yeah. Well, we're actually getting to it. She's but, a strong, yeah. independent woman and she needs a cabinet for her kitchen. <laughs> kitchen need. One of the more interesting things they had was that for women's suffrage, they had a sort of essay contest for young women. And the prize was a junior model of the kitchen need. Wow. Which they also sold outside of prizes. So they had like a working kid kitchen need Hoosier cabinet. Yeah, like a little play school model. No, they worked. Like you could cook with them. Oh, like an easy bake oven. I would argue that a cabinet is different from an oven in at least two ways, but I'll digress. So, you want one, right? Yes. Do you want one? Yes. So, I was shocked at the amount of these things that were out in the world. Hearing the number two million. Why? Because they were only mass produced for 20 years to meet an incredible housing boom that has never been equaled? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what? You're getting, you're getting a little spicy with me here. <laughs> getting, I'm, I'm sensing some salt. Uh, some salt on the game. Wherever from? Oh, I don't know. I'm on the coast. It's easy to get confused about where all the salt's coming from. <laughs> What I was going to say was that it's kind of surprised me because they are always extremely expensive when I see them. Because they're an extremely useful piece of kitchen equipment that remains relevant in our modern day, which not many antique pieces of furniture do. Well, there you go. Thanks for spoiling my next three lines of notes. <laughs> so yeah, depending on several factors, they can range from anywhere from 400 to $3,000. Yeah, sounds about right. Those factors are generally size, manufacture, and condition. Now, for identification, if the breed of your Hoosier is important to you, pretty frequently for the person who isn't extremely into collecting specifics, we'll boil down to hoping that there's still some kind of manufacturer's mark on it. Now, this was very popularly a metal-pressed tag that would proclaim either the brand, or the manufacturer, or both. Or a paper tag, moving on to later models. You would have paper tags, of course, do tend to fall off, although they stick on more often than you'd think, honestly. Tags and other maker's marks are almost always on the back or bottom, or inside a door on the bottom, places where it's not quite as obvious. We're not talking like a Nike situation here. Although, one of the funnest things I found out about the Hoosiers Manufacturing Company was that they didn't put a tag on it, they just put the letter H in the metal of their door fasteners. Hell yeah. The H stands for hell yeah. It stands for hell yeah, Hoosiers. Now, another interesting thing about shopping for a Hoosier is that marriages happen. When two Hoosiers love each other very much. That's where the junior Hoosiers come from, yeah. Yeah. They had a bun in the, uh, never mind. Wow. This doesn't work. Go back, go back to comedy school. Oh, I'm choking. <laughs> uh, so by marriage, you know, I'm referring to the separate parts being from different items. So you would have a Hoosier manufacturing bottom part with a seller's top part, for example. I don't know why it didn't occur to me that this was a risk, because they are pretty unique in that they do separate. Which, as Ken mentioned, is just another tick mark that makes them extremely useful, extremely relevant to our lives today. And if you're asking why, imagine getting one big thing up the stairs or two smaller things up the stairs. The difference is night and day. <laughs> the difference is up and down. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So you do have to check to make sure that there isn't a furniture marriage, which it's not something I would have thought to have looked out for before. Generally, your first line of defense is going to be making sure that the general styles match up. 
while not a very ornamental piece, they do have their own kinds of perhaps wooden slats kind of look or a smooth sort of enamel look or the colors of the woods. So yeah, check the materials. Try to make sure that the wood type on the inside matches nicely and make sure it doesn't look goofy as fuck. While I was looking this up, there were some that were really goofy looking and extremely obvious. Which is to say, two different colors. Incredible. And fun fact, apple green is the most common color to find a Hoosier in. Isn't it just? Yeah. If you've ever thought, like, damn, I see a lot of these in apple green, you're not crazy. I don't know if you thought you were. (laughs) Probably not. You probably (laughs) just noticed something. The only reason I could be seeing this many apple green Hoosier cats (laughs) is if I had become deranged. I've become deranged. I'm here to tell you, friend. I saw it too. Uh, So, in terms of its condition, of course, there are the obvious things. Do the doors work? Do the drawers work? Is the tambour there? Does it open? Does it close? Does it shake? Does it wobble to and fro? But, of course, having all of those little accouchements means that the condition is very affected by how many of them are still in the damn thing. One of the sadder things that happened as time marched on and people found new uses for these is that they would tear out the flower hoppers, the no. lazy Susans, and repurpose them for some other no. form of storage. Yeah. No! Okay, it's okay, it's okay. While this can be rectified, although it does take effort, the value is going to be significantly higher if they have as many of these original things as you can find. Now, you might be asking, how the hell am I supposed to know what used to be in this thing? I got it and it's empty. Boy, I got good news for you. It's HoosierCabinet.com. Hell yeah. Not only do they sell replacement pieces, such as glass jars and hoppers, but it has an enormous catalog of other people's documented Hoosiers and ads that suggest what should be in them. Nice, nice, nice. Extremely nice. And now, there's also reproductions. Oh no. I would say the most insidious of these, although I, I don't re- I don't want to call it insidious, is Koch Brothers actually will do Napanee kitchenette Hoosier cabinets on commission. That was a lot of words all at once. Yeah, yeah. well, they make them special. They don't sell them, like, out of a warehouse, but you can, like, buy one and they'll make it for you. They seem to have transitioned into, like, a luxury custom-made furniture company. However, they also label these appropriately, and also the effort they have to go to get one. I'd be pretty surprised if someone just kicked it to the curb on fucking Craigslist. You'd think, and yet? I would say the bigger problem are the no-name, quote-unquote, Amish maid. Oh, no. That perennial scam of furniture making. There aren't anywhere near enough Amish people to make as much furniture as attributed to them. (laughs) And they don't tend to ask giant corporations to deal with their overage for them. I thought about doing an episode on this, and then I realized, like, my only piece of advice is just, like, think about that for five minutes. I mean, I still feel like it's worth an episode. We might still do it. If only so I can yell a lot. Uh, You know, I love episodes where you do that, so. (laughs) So, something being Amish made is extremely suspect. And these Hoosiers, while they are made to look very folksy, they tend to be very chunky and less complicated. Fewer doors, fewer racks, fewer shelving, no tambours. No tambours? No tambour! Listen, is a Hoosier without a tambour even a Hoosier? No. Yes, but not one I care for. Oh, okay. I love a tambour door, holy shit. Nothing gets me fired up like a tambour. God, I just, like, I'm feral, like, I want to just eat it, chew on it. Now, when I say that they're, like, they're chunky, one of the things that really make Hoosiers stand out design-wise is that they're very clean-lined. Because they're functional, they don't have a lot of, what is the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say endowments. It makes it sound like they've got big tits. Extraneous decoration? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Embellishments? Embellishment, that's the word. <laughs> they don't have like, a ton of embellishment. There you go. They tend to be very clean and square and edged. And the Amish ones are just sort of lumpier. <laughs> 
I mean, in addition to that, they look suspiciously perfectly new. Actually, a lot of reproductions don't even have the pull-out tray for the workstation, which, like, why even fucking bother? Fake fan. Fake Hoosier fan. Yeah, absolutely. And they suffer between extremes. They either lack the specific doohickeys that one would associate with the Hoosier cabinet, or they suspiciously have all of them in extremely perfect condition. One of the things that really blew my fucking gourd is that the cost on the reproductions is either equal to or higher than what it would cost to get a real one. Huh. I was seeing Amish-made ones for like $2,000, and if I had $2,000 to burn on a cabinet, I would get an authentic antique Hoosier. Yeah, you'd think, right? Like, <laughs> I hope I haven't scared anyone off of the prices. They do tend to trend really high. If you got the eagle eyes and you can keep an eye on the markets, you can usually get them for one to four hundred dollars, which, in my opinion, is is a very fair price, depending on condition, of course. Yeah. I'm still kicking myself and rending myself to pieces and and screaming, crying in the night for losing out on that two hundred dollar one that seemed to be only two hundred dollars only because someone had painted it very ugly. So that's one <laughs> avenue you could use to get one for a good price. Find an extremely ugly one. Count on upcyclers who don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, it's, it's actually like, once those transition out of, like, you know, Picasso's who thinks it's gonna make it worth a billion dollars is like, property, people will just be like, get this ugly thing the fuck out of my face. Because refinishing is a lot of energy. And even if you find an ugly one, Hoosiers are uniquely much simpler to replace and repair items for. In part because they were made to be accessible for literally anybody to upkeep them. And because they're so popular, there are plenty of resources for replacement hinges, doors, tambours, and doohickeys. So if you're willing to put a little bit of elbow grease in, you could get one for a good price. So don't let me ruin your dreams of having one. I still have dreams of having one. And I'll get there and you will too. Don't let us ruin on your parade. You can do it. My closing argument, Your Honor, is that a Hoosier cabinet might be one of the greatest pieces of antique furniture possible to find. Co-signed. They are mobile. They are reasonably lightweight for an all-wood item. They are useful. They are perfect for a small area. They do not damage the home you are in. I think they're well worth making the investment in both time and like moving, even if you're in like an apartment. I think they're worth having. Think about it, won't you? Absolutely. And I hope I've taught you a thing or two on the Hoosier Cabinet. You have. Well done. Thank you. Sources for today include HoosierCabinet.com. <laughs> Incredible. No way. Those guys? Those are my Hoosiers? It makes me so happy when that, like, ever since I was just like, huh, I noticed that a lot of antiques websites just have one of those. It makes me so happy every time there's one. So HoosierCabinet.com, the whole ding-dang website, very helpful. OldHouseOnline.com, the kitchen cabinet revolution. TheCraftsmanBlog.com, what is a Hoosier cabinet? CopesNapanee.com, Hoosier cabinets. DustyOldThing.com, Hoosier history photos. CopesCommons.com, Copes Kitchen Hoosier Museum. LoveToKnow.com, Antique Hoosier Cabinets. And Van Dyke Restoration, their page on Hoosier Cabinets. If you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly at antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post on our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends. You can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com, or you can hit up our Instagram at instagram.com slash antiquesfreaks. If you liked us debating the source of the word Hoosier, or you are a Hoosier and you didn't like how I said it, feel free to scroll on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a five-star review. Five stars. Indiana hates you. <laughs> And if you would like to check out some vintage and antique goods and perhaps even some t-shirts and stickers with the podcast logo on them, you should hit up our Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash antiques freaks. 
now featuring clowns. Uh, running really low on clowns, and let me tell you, we are in the supple summer months, and I'm having a hard time sourcing new clowns, so hang tight with me. Maybe consider any of our other items while I try to find you more. Or snap up these clowns while they're still here. Get the, yeah, if there's still a clown in the shop, uh, get, get it while the getting's good. These clowns are hot commodity. And if you need more Antiques Freaks in your week, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where every week we read and review a chapter of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right, you. Au revoir. Goodbye.